Hey, welcome to The Screenwriting Life. I'm Meg LaFove. And I'm Lorianne McKenna. We are professional screenwriters. We've worked together as a team and separately. We've worked on studio and indie films, live action and animation, from my work on Inside Out and Captain Marvel. To my work in Pixar's story department on Up, Brave, and Inside Out. We are here to share our insights on the craft of screenwriting and also the life. How to not only survive the ups and downs, but thrive. We want to help you become the best screenwriter you can be and to reassure you that you are not alone on this journey. Hi, guys. Welcome back to the show. We know we've taken a little bit of a break here due to summer and mostly work uh, avalanches, uh, but we are back. Welcome back, Lorian. Yes, welcome back. I'm super excited to see everybody. It's sort of a relief. This feels like, oh, normal. <laughs> but I don't even know what normal is anymore. So let's get into it. <laughs> and, um, and we uh, even have Jeff here. We even have yay. Jeff here. Hi, Jeff. Yeah. I am here. I am uh, underslept and thrilled. We wrapped this morning at 7 a.m. fighting the sun for a night shot, but we got it. So wow. um, I can't wait to catch you guys up. Yeah. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun show with Jeff because uh, he hasn't slept all night. It's going to be great. And Jess yeah. is here too. Yes. Thank you, Jess, yes. for getting us together to do the show. So today we'll be answering some of your questions. Thanks to everyone who submitted questions through our Facebook group. And we'll also be hearing from Lorraine about her journey as a showrunner. So. All right. Who wants to go first for adventures in screenwriting? I'll go first because mine is going to be so boring compared to the two of you who have been in production. (laughs) Mine is so normally boring development that I'll go first, which is, well, I'm in a vacation spot. So right now I'm trying to also work and focus while other people are playing around me. So that's always fun. Um, I did have one project die since I've last been on the podcast with you guys. Oh, I'm so sorry. I've, you know, little mourning process and deciding with my partner, Jonathan, if we're going to, um, you know, continue. Like, or should we keep pushing this rock up a hill, find a new angle? So we'll see. You know, are we going to be a dog with, dog with a bone or are we going to let it go? Um, in terms of writing, you know, my motto over this summer break, of, well, it's not been a break. It's been a lot of work, but the break of the podcast has been, my motto has been just hang in there and keep going forward. <laughs> it's a good one. <laughs> because it's been really quite hard. The Ed Solomon, uh, the Ed Solomon uh, advice of what is it now is what I've been living. What is it now? What is it now? Um, I just keep learning the same lesson that things are not going to stay the same. No matter what you wrote, no matter how good it is, it is not going to be that. It is just going to keep evolving. And so you can't get attached and yet you have to be attached enough to write the dang thing. So that yes. kind of balancing act is where I've been. You know, no matter how much I love something, some people are not going to love it. And, you know, if you're, especially if you're working with a director, you could have gone through outlines, you could have gone through cards, you could have written a scriptment and you, they get that script and they still could be like, yeah, this isn't what I want. This isn't the movie I had in my head. You know, part of you as a writer is like, but wait, what about all those cards and outlines and all those things you were like, yay, I love it. And because it just happens. It's uh, Sometimes when they see it and it gets executed, they're like, yeah, we're on two different tracks. And it's just, you know, it's really, I've been in over this summer working with directors and how that is. And some, uh, and, 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 you know, that could be like in the early stages where you're just getting the concept down and the tone down and really what is this movie, right? You know, do is it an ensemble oh my gosh or is it still just you know big big questions that you used to you can only really sometimes get to in big ways when you've actually written a draft and sometimes working with a director is 
that kind of minutia stuff. Like it's that train is moving and you have to fix stuff within scenes. Uh, you know, I'm sure guys, you're going to talk about this even in production where you're rewriting lines and you, you're, some part of your brain has to be so specific in that scene for that joke, for that moment, where is the character right now in this line, in this exchange. And at the same time, some part of your brain is like, how does this connect to everything else? And is it all going to domino and just completely fall apart? And that sometimes I have to be the bearer of bad news and be like, I know, but here's the thing that makes that other person, the main character or whatever, right? Like you just have to, that kind of back and forth in my brain is what I've been doing. And, um, you know, a lot of waiting for notes, a lot of kind of that nervous energy and, um, you know, just really hanging in that sacred space between what I want to write and can write for myself and then what your director wants, right? Like that, it is just a constant conversation. And my job ultimately is to do what the director wants. And, uh, you know, I'm lucky in that the directors I've worked with and am working with, I have such deep respect for them and their experience and their vision that I can rely on that. You know, that is, that is the best part of what my summer is that I have such respect for the person that I'm working with and for that even when it goes boom, <laughs> like, oh my gosh, there's pieces flying everywhere or really we're gonna rethink about the whole third act. Okay, 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 okay. Um, I trust the person. And I, I think when you don't trust the person, that's why it's really painful. That's when it can get super painful. So that's my summer, you know, it's not even my week. That's since I've last talked to you all. Um, Laurie, now, now, okay, that was the boring development stuff. Let's talk about the fun production stuff. I want to hear from Jeff. Jeff, you're first. Um, I have never been more tired in my life. I was just telling them I, our last two nights were night shoots. You know, it's a, without saying too much about the feature, it's a camping set kind of coming of age dramedy. So it's a camping movie. There have to be exterior night scenes. I, on this final like blue version of the draft, I was like, okay, I wrote out a ton of the night scenes. There's hardly anything. And of course, still exterior nights are just, pardon my French, but they're just such a bitch. So we had our last two days of production were nights, but we got, I cannot believe it. I'm sitting here having not cut a single scene from the film. We got all 100 pages in 12 days. And I think we have great takes for all of them. You know, some of them are, we have a couple oneers that will be, we'll need to make them work in post. But um, I think like, I've been thinking about all the lessons that I've been learning. And of course, I'm one day out from production. So I'll have more thoughts in the future, especially as I enter post. But because we're a writing show, I feel like one of the things I really learned on this set was that directing is writing. You know, I mean, I spent three years on this script, tens and tens and tens, maybe hundreds of drafts. And so what that allowed for was the actors coming to set, knowing exactly where they were, who they were and how to do these scenes. And in some ways, I feel like my experience these last 12 days or 14 days has been learning that in some ways directing is like everything but directing. Directing is making sure that you have a really clearly articulated script with clear character arcs and finished dialogue, right? And then directing is casting. Directing is making sure that every single actor perfectly embodies and understands the roles. Directing is hiring a great DP that you can rely on to help you frame these shots. Because I feel like, you know, if you only get three takes for each setup, um, there's no time to necessarily be finding it on set. And all of that work, I kind of did in advance. So most of my directing was, um, can we try this a little more melancholic? Or, you know, I think your character is here. What if you tried to 
you know, mute some of this outward anger and it, try to give us something more contained. But again, those are the types of things that were already dictated on the page after having written it for three years. So I think, you know, I've always felt that the industry tries to create this glass cage around directing. Like it's this high pedestal that like writers shouldn't even think they're allowed to, you know, it's a privileged position that's designed for special people. And the reason I think they do that is because they know and understand that writers actually make great directors. Um, so for all of our listeners who feel like they, aren't entitled to direct their own material or they shouldn't be allowed to, I would encourage you that if you start with a finished script and a beautiful blueprint for what you want, you might be and probably are the person who's best served to direct that material. So I'll have a lot more thoughts in the future, but it's interesting. I think like when we talk about how it connects to writing, that script was airtight when we got to set. Um, but there was one scene, the final scene I revised for this draft, I feel like maybe it was 90% done before we got to set. And that was the toughest scene to direct because we had to be making changes on set, which is fine, right? That's part of it. That's part of the process. But I think like, even then I felt like the script was mostly finished when I sent out the draft, but the actors got to set and they were a little confused. There was a couple repetitive dialogue moments. And that's an example of that's what will slow you down on set. So it really does show you that it all starts with the script. And if you can kind of come to set with the script that feels finished and airtight with clearly delineated arcs for your actors, you can do it. So I'll have a lot more thoughts moving forward, but in general, I'm like stunned by how smoothly production went. I had an amazingly supportive team. And again, because we all had the same vision, we all saw the same lighthouse in the distance for what this story is and was, we were able to kind of cruise through it because we would all be aligned with what we knew we wanted. So um, I'll have, I think, more thoughts in the future, but I feel so grateful. I feel so grateful to this show, which pushed me to keep rewriting. I feel grateful to Meg, who gave me an amazing round of notes. Sheila Hanahan Taylor read it and gave me some amazing notes as well. So I'm feeling surprisingly relaxed and just kind of, I'm going to be wide-eyed and tranquilized. That's jet lag, Jeff. That's you probably jet lag. Jet lag. <laughs> yeah, I think that might be exhaustion. Yeah. Um, but I'm just you're, so grateful. You're, like, you're so tired, you're like drunk. <laughs> I know, that's how I'm feeling. Uh, as we enter post, we'll see, but um, I will keep you all posted as I just keep learning so much on this journey. I love it. I love yeah. it. And so I know, nice. Jeff, that you might have to jump off uh, uh, to keep working on your movie, but I'm so glad that you're able to be here as long as you can be here on the podcast. Yes, thank yeah. you. Thank you. It's good to see you. It's good to see everyone. Thanks. It's kind of a relief. I know. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I've missed you all. Lorian, yeah. Lorian how, how, how was your week? Uh, my week, um, I'm not quite sure. I am also really, really tired. We had a six day week uh, this week uh, and then we're still not quite done with shooting. Um, we've made our days, which is great, but you know, it's uh, it feels other timely, otherworldly in a way, like going to the stage, being on set, like it's weird. I think the experience for me, you know, I, I felt fairly prepared, nervous, scared. You know, I'd heard from so many showrunners and so many experienced writers and people on set. So like intellectually, I knew what it was going to be, but in practice, it's a whole other, other thing. Right. And I learned a lot of things that I'm really good at. And I can say that with confidence. Like I really feel good. Like I, I'm not a director, but I know what I want. I have a good eye. I can solve problems. I'm really good at making decisions very quickly, you know, because I just trust my instincts about what I want and what works for the show. And uh, I think always keeping in mind what's best for the show, 
towards the end there, I had to start considering what's best for me also, which was a challenging thing because the answer is, well, what's best for the show? <laughs> you know, so I think it's um, it's definitely been um, exciting, but I love it. I love this job. I love the whole experience. I love being in the writer's room with the writers. I loved, you know, pre-production and being on set. I'm really looking forward to post and probably because I don't have to wake up at five every day. Uh, is a little piece of why I'm so looking forward to most, but um, just that process. And um, yeah, it's been, it's been a great learning experience. There's been a ton of challenges and things that have been really, really hard that have been scary and emotional and trying to figure out how to solve those problems. And I think one of the trickier things is being a showrunner, there's no other person who's a showrunner that you can go to to sort things out to. Like, I imagine, Jeff, you have this as well. There's no other director there. It's you. You have to figure it out. There's people you can talk to to sort things out and go to for advice. But, you know, you want to work. I wanted to work so hard to be the leader, you know, in my way. I'm not, you know, just, you know, but I love being on set. I love learning about like, what all those numbers are on the, on the screen, you know, when you're watching it and how it relates to the cameras. And, you know, I just tried to learn as much as I possibly could, but I really loved it. And it's exhausting in a way, in a body way that was really startling. For example, um, I was really hot on set all the fucking time, like really hot, like hot flash hot to the point where I kept asking them to crank up the AC. So my crew just started showing up wearing sweatshirts. Like it was like, I was like, at first I wasn't saying anything cause like, you know, you're wearing a mask and a face shield and it's hot. And I was like, sort of not able to breathe. And I was like, no, my job is to make sure that everyone else is comfortable just so they can do their job. And that's how I'm going to do my job. But I was like dying. I couldn't focus. So I was like, you know what? I need it to be colder in here. So I like had them crank up the AC and it was hard for me to sort of prioritize my comfort above everybody else's, you know, cause I think I've been conditioned that my job is to serve other people and sort of that, like, well, my job is to make everyone else's job easier. And it's like, or both my job is to make their job easier. And their job is to make my job easier. Right. It's this mutual th sort of thing. So asking to turn the AC up was this like constant internal emotional battle for me. <laughs> you know, it's like my comfort's important, but yeah, everyone started wearing sweatshirts showing up every day in sweatshirts. And I was like, all right, turn up the AC. Let's go. <laughs> you know? Uh, so uh, yeah, I'll adapt it for you. Yes. It was very sweet. And one, one of the ACs was like, I'll wear a sweatshirt for you. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, Thank you so much. Like for validating that my needs are okay. <laughs> well, it's really um, important because I, I had the same thing, Lori, and like I didn't mention this, but a week before production, I tripped on a basement window well and I dislocated my shoulder and broke my ankle. <laughs> and what? like I, I honestly I think it I think it might have been good luck. They say to break a leg before production. I just decided to break my arm instead. Um, <laughs> oh my god. But like it was a gnarly fall. I was concussed. I bruised my hip. Um my instinct was to want to help with company moves and pick shit up and move things into cars. And I felt like I should, you know, I, I didn't like the idea that people had to help me get to set and like I had to sit down and be attended to. But at the same time, if you're the final decision maker on set and you're driving the car you have, that's essential. So I can really relate to that feeling, Lorian. But like you said, when the buck stops with you and you're the final decision maker and you're holding the snow globe in your hand, th those things are really, really important. And other people want to see you making those kinds of 
um, having those asks because what it shows is that you're prioritizing your decision-making ability, which everyone is relying on, you know? Well, the way I made it made sense to myself is like, if I make a clear decision, then other people know what their job is. So I'm helping, right? Like, exactly. if I don't know if I have to ask a bunch of people or I just say, it's blue, it's blue. Then the person Absolutely. goes off and makes it blue and then we're all happy, right? The, it it's sort down. of like, Actually, yes. And yeah, then it, it calms, calms me down, down too, knowing that I want it to be blue and then someone's going to go make it blue. You know, these are the vital kinds of decisions I have been making about the color blue. I just want you all to know it's a real decision <laughs> I made. <laughs> all right, well, let's move on because we're going to start answering some questions because I'm sure we're going to have some great questions. And Melissa actually asked a good segue question here, which is what are the biggest lessons you've learned recently? For me? Um, yeah, go ahead. that I need to take care of myself, figure that out and prioritize that. Like the first week on set, I got really dehydrated and because you're on set for four hours, you know, and it's hard to leave and go to the bathroom and because of COVID you can't eat or drink on set. And so you have to sort of leave and go outside and drink a bottle of water and then come back. And I didn't do it because I was so in it. And so it was like, I'm gonna, I'll be back in three minutes. I just need to go chug this water, you know, that to be able to prioritize that to take care of myself is, is probably what I learned the most, which is this thing I've struggled with my whole life. But because if I, if I'm not functioning on set, it makes it really difficult for everybody else. So my self-care isn't much about me, but about the show. And so that was a really good lesson for me. I think on the show, but also in my life. I'm a person who has value. I need to be healthy and good for my family, for my friends, for, you know, my participation in things. So sort of, it took me this long to figure this out about how to be a person in the world, but it was a good one. Yeah. Good. What about you, Meg? I have two. Uh, mine is my life uh, lesson is, you know, just the tumult that create the creative process is a tumult and there's days you're going to feel beat up and there's days you're going to doubt. And I think that sometimes writers think that when you get the dream job, that's not going to happen anymore. Or when you've written enough scripts that won't happen anymore, but it's just being reminded, Oh, right. It's the fire of creativity. Um, if anything, when you get the higher up you go, the more the tumult is the, mm -hmm. you know, that the stakes are getting much higher. Now you're talking about a, hundreds of millions of dollars for a movie like that doubt is starting can get much louder right yeah. and what you start to rely on is the, the the many many drafts you've written and all those skills and all those tools is what you do start to rely on in that tumult and then in terms of the craft I think my biggest realization in the last few months has since I've spoken to you all is um I write very complicated first drafts uh, and I, that I have to just be okay with that. Um, and I, the kind of notes I get every time is this is very complicated. There's too much in here. I think it's because probably I should have been writing uh, TV shows all this whole time because I like so much things and so much nuance and interest about different things that I put too much in there. And so usually it's me going, oh, right. It's too complicated. Um, you know, sometimes that's because I have unconsciously been throwing more stuff in because I don't maybe know the answer or I think that's the answer, but in fact, it's just a band-aid. 
right? You don't know that you're doing that because I hate Band-Aid monster drafts. So I try really hard to avoid them, but you do it, right? Where you're like, well, that'll solve the problem in that scene. But then you don't realize that that just complicated and added a whole other tributary. Um, and I think that's okay because, and I'm, so my lesson has been, it has to be okay that my first drafts are super complicated, potentially overly complicated with maybe too much nuance because that's just how my brain works. People like, you know, and I know that um, Emma Thompson also talks about that her first drafts are really, really, really long and overcomplicated. And then her drafts then is like simplifying, getting down to kind of but, you know, I'm taking it as a good thing because I throw so many ideas out there, right, that now my director or my writing partner or the producer or whoever, we can have these interesting conversations about what are we picking? But you do have to pick. Like, I'm in the process of like, okay, we have to pick. Or this is overly complicated because it's actually not working. So let's have the bigger conversation about concept now, right? right. So, again, that's the tumult. And I kind of was wishing over the last couple of months that I wasn't so complicated, <laughs> right. but I am, and I'm just going to embrace it. Like, that's kind of what you get. You, you might get an overly uh, complex first draft and then I we'll think that's go such a, the second and the third a, and the fifth and the 10th. It's such a good place to get to is sort of accepting your process. Cause for a long time I did that too. Like I need to be this way. I need to write outlines. I need to do all these things. Cause that's how you're supposed to do it, but I don't, I do it in my own way. And, and it works for me instead of spending so much time and energy battling what works for me, just do it, you know, and that that's accepting how you are, you know, that's um, brilliant. Hard. I think too, I think too, like remind yourself that some of those things that can feel like flaws are sometimes your superpowers too. Like, I feel like Meg, the reason you get hired is because of your ability to understand nuanced characters. So I think like we can beat ourselves up like Meg or I mean, Lorian, like you're known for your like amazing dialogue. So those first drafts probably have too much of it, but also like that's your superpower too. So I think like yeah, just remembering that like those, that. those bumps that like show that. up in I'm your first draft. Yeah. I'm going to take that back to my work on Monday. <laughs> totally. I think those are the hallmark of what make you the writer you are and probably also what get you hired, even though they're also what create headaches for you early on in the process yeah. yes exactly yes totally so jeff what was something you have learned i'm sure you've learned a ton but could you pick one that's maybe more writing uh, uh tethered to the writing process uh, i think again like that airtight script is just like if it's not ready for shooting it's not ready for shooting i i had so many moments on set where i thought like i'm so glad i spent as long as i did getting this script as solid as it can be before set because even like it's funny there were small things in action that showed up in like band-aids, like from old drafts that I didn't like get rid of for the current draft. And like one day, my amazing, one of our amazing PAs showed up with the prop I just didn't need because it was from an old draft. And you know, those things that feel so small early on the page in the process end up being huge things that happen on set. Like deciding that the character has a Walkman means that all of a sudden, you have to figure out where you can buy a fucking Walkman in 2021, right? Like, so yeah, totally. Just knowing that um, like those decisions that can feel flippant and small on the page have huge consequences in production. And that's not to slow you down or intimidate you in the process, but just to know that like, if you're going to turn in a draft or submit something for reading, make sure it's as tight and um, solid as it can be because when producers and directors are going to read it, they'll be seeing 
production. They'll be seeing money and numbers. And if it's working beautifully on the page, they know it can work beautifully on set, but those small things that maybe you didn't quite fin- you know, tighten the screw on really will be felt on set. Yeah, I totally agree. We've been going so fast on the show that, you know, I've been writing every day and trying to catch all that stuff in the scripts, but we're block shooting. So, you know, we shoot all the first 10 pages all in the first five days, and then we're shooting the next sections on different sets. And so like keeping track of everything we're doing. And so the scripts are sort of broken apart and then we have to put them back together and sort of there are things I'm missing because it's just me and the co-EP and the writer's assistant and we're moving so fast. And so like the props guy comes to me and he's like, how am I going to do that? I'm like, oh, that's not in the script anymore. He's like, but it is literally in the script. I'm like, but in my head, it's not in there anymore. So, right, like I didn't have time to go back to the page because it was just moving so fast. And so it was like, okay, then I need to check in with him every day about the scripts to make sure I'm catching all the things that are in my head. So he's not going to go off and, you know, buy a Walkman when I'm like, I don't need a Walkman, you know? So keeping keeping track of all that stuff, um, which is on me. I have to be keeping track of all that stuff. What's in the scripts? Because they, I think when, uh, it's such a good point because when you're writing, it feels like, well, they'll know what I, there's a sense of maybe like, we'll work this out at some point. We'll have all these pre-production discussions about it. And I'll sort of just not decide, but like make some decisions, you know, but no, they get the script. It's literally, they will do what's in the script. So what you deliver to production is literally what will get done. Whether you had time to check it, whether you were like, this is exactly it or not, you know, and it's, so it's this, you know, and you're always moving fast on set, always. It doesn't matter if you have 20 weeks in the writer's room or six, right? You're always going. And so it was just that like, oh, wow, they take everything, every word I write is taken seriously, which for me was like, holy shit, there's a lot of power in these scripts. And so just sort of remembering <laughs> that, right? It's a real thing. But it was, I think that was another thing I learned too, that like the way I think about a script and its translation to the screen needs to be literal, right? When I deliver a script, it's literally what I expect to see and that there's no room for more conversations or discovery or conversation. It's like, I think I said conversation twice because my brain is weird right now. (laughs) But um, yeah, it's, but yeah, that's another lesson that was, um, I guess being in development for so long on Pixar movies too, you know, it's this constant, you sort of get to iterate and explore and iterate, explore. And this is like, nope, you're done. Script is locked. Off it goes. And you're like, wait, wait, wait. (laughs) I bet that was a a big shift. So we've got some questions for you, Laurie. And as a showrunner that Jess is going to ask from our listeners. I'm ready. Nice. Uh, So a few of our listeners have asked, did you enjoy the overall production that you're working on? What did you like most? And what were your general responsibilities as well? My general responsibilities were everything. <laughs> if you Perfect. name a thing, it was my responsibility. Um, uh, I lo- yes, I loved it. I loved the overall production. I think it's amazing and fascinating and fun and challenging, like all the things. It's the best thing and the worst thing, right? Which is always for me sort of, yes, I got my dream job and it was really, really, really hard. And I, there's no time to fuck around. You just do it. Um, uh, what was the other part of the question? <laughs> Sorry. Um, did you enjoy the overall production yes. as well? Yeah, totally. I mean, now I'm going to go into post, which is a whole other thing, but, um, and I'll love that too. Yeah. I loved it. It was great. 
responsibilities <laughs> is hard, right? It's writing the scripts, it's managing the set with the director and the first AD. It's um, setting tone on the set, right? Making sure that there is a tone on the set so that for me, it's about, you know, supporting the AD to keep everything going so that we make our day, but also that people feel like they can have fun a little bit between takes, that everybody feels like they can sort of bring their best work to it and that there isn't sort of a, it's just fun. I like a sort of a casual, fun atmosphere, but that we're working really, really hard, right? Um, and that I want to be really accessible and available and that people can come directly to me and ask questions, that it doesn't have to be like they have to go through a lot of steps to get to me. If they need something answered, I'm right there, ask me. Um, because that's how I like to be in the world. So it's about setting that tone and then maintaining it, even when I'm having a bad day, even when shit's falling apart all around me. Like that's my responsibility is to set that tone. And that's how I interact with everyone across the board. And that's hard. That can be really hard sometimes because sometimes the bad day is bad. So it's like about shit. I have to think about the crew. I have to think about, you know, the performers. I have to think about everything all the time. Also what you were talking about Meg too is like, keeping the whole show in my head the whole time, the series, the episodes, if a line changed especially here, especially when you're block set, shooting, especially yeah, if, when you're a block shooting, if a line changes true. here in this part of the script, but we're not shooting the rest of the script till four days later, I have to figure out how to keep that in mind. And that if it ripples through anything, like keeping all of that, um, you know, as a puzzle, and, uh, and, and having uh, just great, amazing support people around me and, and respecting their boundaries and what they need to do their jobs, which has been, and communicating, right? Even when you're just dead tired, being able to articulate what you need and want, which is incredibly challenging. And I was moderately successful at it so far, I think. So Zoe has asked, what was it like trying to balance home and family life with all of those responsibilities? And there was no demands? balance. It was no balance. There was only, only work. I stayed at a hotel near set uh, three nights a week so that I could leave set after we wrapped and go to the hotel and write at night. So they didn't have to drive all the way home and be available for anyone else. I just needed to just go to a hotel and write and be alone and then get up. And, and be your like show 10. though, your sh you wouldn't say your show is typical though, right? I mean, you guys were in an insane schedule. I mean, the amount of time you had to be, have a room and get into production and shoot I mean, it's more, I'm not going to say indie, but it's very tight. It's super fast. It was fast, but I can't say that the industry, I think the industry is moving this way, right? Gone are the days when you, you know, get deals for 40 weeks in a writer's room. And then you have, you know, all the time you have. I, it was definitely, I mean, I don't have anything to compare it to, um, but I feel like, like all these crews were used to it. They're like, yeah, we've done all this before. Like they were unfazed by this, you know? So it sort of felt like this might be the new sort of paradigm of, you know, some shows like this, um, you know, it was so what you're saying schedule. then is that when you're on it, if, if this is the way we're going, you're going to be on it and the family's going to have to be now supported by the other partner or somebody else so that you can yeah. do this. And then, but you're not, it's not going to be like a network show where you're doing this for, 
you know, months and 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 months months because it's all going to be super fast. And then you're going back home. And, you know, I had long conversations with my husband and my daughter, like, okay, here's what this is. Here's where the set is. Here's my plan. And they were very supportive because they didn't want me on the road at night and they wanted me to get my job done and do my best. But it was a decision that we made that I would stay close to the stage um, which was the right decision to make because, you know, it was, it's in an hour to get there and an hour and a half to get home. You have no control over where you're shooting and you, you can't move, you know, so it was sort of the best thing. But I mean, my husband and my daughter went on vacation. I think I talked to them twice in a week, like, hope you guys are having fun. Bye. You know, like it, it was just the choice I made and it, other people will make different choices, but it's really nice to be home this weekend. <laughs> well, I feel like as well in high pressure jobs, you know, whether it's in this industry or other ones, like, cause I certainly used to do this to myself where I'd guilt trip myself because I couldn't achieve that balance that everyone talks about. But at the end of the day, I kind of just realized that that balance is such a myth. Like it actually, I just don't think exists and that's okay for a while or for however long you need to do it and want to do it. Um, but I feel like we sometimes strive and are like, oh my God, we'll, we'll get that balance. And it's like, no, like no. you're just adding so much pressure to yourself. Yeah. And I think there's just this ongoing conversation that women are supposed to balance it. Exactly. I am supposed to find a way to be a hundred percent full-time engaged in my job and somehow a hundred percent full-time engaged with my family. And it's like, I put myself just in my work completely. It is, you know, um, and so, you know, good or bad, that's what I do. So it's so hard to, um, and there's no balance. There was no balance. It was what I was doing. And I don't know that there is any way to do this job and do that. And perhaps that is a crazy, political, dangerous thing to say in Hollywood about being a woman in position of leadership. Um, but I don't, I don't know. But it is the choice I made and I feel really good about it because I was able to be fully present for what I needed to do in the way I needed to do it. And I saw everyone else around me making those choices too, men and women. Um, It was just what we were doing to get the show done and to be amazing. Love that. I don't know, Meg, you've been in these situations before. You've been on set. You know, you, you've, it's, Uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, my husband was left at home to the, the single parent for those, weeks that we were shooting you know when you're shooting a super big movie you're going to make plans for your kids to come and visit um you know maybe you're going to go back for holidays right but that is a sacrifice that producers uh also make when uh, they go off and shoot those movies you know it's a 24-hour day job there's no there is no other way to do it yeah um absolutely i i mean i've heard of tv shows that uh, at least in the rooms in terms of writers rooms they they do end by six or seven and because they do want to respect that. And so in terms of the writer's room part of it, I think that there can be uh, sometimes not all the time more of a balance, but when once you're shooting, you're shooting. Yes. So. Yeah. In the writer's um, room, I think it's really clear to find out from your showrunner, when are the nights we're working late, right? What's the schedule? And sort of that was another lesson. Like I just had to be really clear, like here are my expectations this is when we're working late. This is when we're not, we might work till late tonight. So stand by, you know? And so, but there definitely was an end to the day for the writers, you know, 
and we're and we were all at home. It was a virtual room, but yes. Well, that was another question we got from Mateo and Trish about um, when you're setting up a room. How do you work out if you're a, a, you know, what's a good fit in terms of genre and tone? A lot of that is dictated by the show and the network and what their expectations are. Like if it's a, a genre show, if it's a sci-fi, they're probably going to be like why aren't you hiring more sci-fi writers? Because they know the world, they know the genre, it'll be less of a learning curve for them. Um, so you, so they, some, you, the network and you really want to see a sample list in the tone of the show. In the genre yes. Of the show. And I, I am a big fan of original specs because then I feel like I get a, um, a handle on you. Um, like this is a preschool show that I'm running, but I loved getting YA specs and, um, it's nice to see a spectrum of writing and a, and a personality and a, and a, and a point of view, but you know, the network wanted a certain kind of writer and, you know, you do want that experience too, of someone who can capture the tone of the show without having to learn what the tone of the show is. Um, but you also, you're looking for experience. You're looking for, um, life experience too. Like if someone was a lawyer for 15 years, that's fun, right? They bring a whole different kind of worldview, you know, so it's not just like this one sort of type of person you're looking for. And still on the writer's room, uh, quite a few people asked, what kind of contribution do you want from your staff level writers? And how do you foster that creativity in the room? Like, were there any unique ways that you ran the room and kept up team morale as well? Uh, you should probably ask my writers <laughs> what they think. <laughs> um, I tried to be myself and, and to let them know how I really felt about the show, which was that I was super excited, that I thought it could be really special and why I thought it was important what we were doing. Um, I, I have a hard time faking excitement or faking how I'm feeling. So I just sort of showed up fully as myself every day. Um, I'm really open to ideas from everyone in the room. So the writer's assistant had great ideas. We had an intern, she had great ideas, sort of listening to everyone equally and not paying attention to like what someone's title is in the room. That was not interesting to me at all. Um, like I had a co-EP, I had staff writers, you know, like everyone's in the room, everyone should be working on the show and have a, a contribution to make if they want to, you know, you know, like if the writer's assistant is like, I'm just gonna do my job and that's their choice. That's Fine. But if they want to contribute, I say yes. Um, so I think it's that making sure everyone feels heard and valued and listened to sometimes having private conversations with people to find out what's going on with them. You know, um, yeah, it was so long ago. I mean, that was like six weeks ago. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I think a big part of it is being clear about what I expect, what I don't want, what I do want you know, and just being very clear so everybody understands what the rules are of the room, right? Which is, you know, I've created a whole list. But what of did things. you want from the writers? What did I want from the writers? What did you want from the writers? Like, so these are the writers thinking and hoping to become staff level writers. And let's say they get that job. What, what are you look, what are you, what's your, what are your expectations of that writer? That they show up on time. Uh, you know, if you're virtual and there's a Zoom, click on that Zoom link five minutes early right? It just, it's respectful. Um, pay attention, uh, contribute ideas. If your idea isn't picked, let it go. You know, don't bring it back up. It obviously wasn't, it was heard. It just wasn't, you know, the idea that was picked that we're not going to go with. Stay focused on 
the show itself and the episode that we're breaking, right? Sometimes you get at the beginning, it's great. Blue sky development. Who could this character be? What could this setting look like? And it's super fun. But as you go farther down the track, those blue sky opportunities uh, wane significantly. So sometimes you have to re-break something when the scripts are already like in first draft. And if you have a great idea, but it's sort of off format or out of the outline, you need to pay attention to that stuff. If the showrunner stops a brainstorming and says that breaks another episode or, you know, you, you just have to let it go. Even though it could make that episode better, it will break what's the larger series. And so it's listening and taking cues in the room. Um, one of the things that a new writer can do is look at more experienced writers in the room. So what are they doing? How are they taking notes? Um, uh, I think it's, and when you take a note from the showrunner, make sure, do the note, but then make sure it, see the whole note through the whole episode. Don't just literally do the note. Make sure that you're tracking to see that that conversation, that note actually Check if it doesn't bump anything else in the whole episode, right? And if you have a question about it and it doesn't work for you, come back and pitch other ideas. Don't just come back and say, I didn't like the note or it's not working for me. Um, but always come with ideas. Always be prepared. Follow the outline. Follow and know the format. And if you don't understand the format of the show, ask. You can ask a more uh, experienced writer. You can ask the showrunner. You can talk to your other writers about it. Um, yeah, but it's be in the show and know what the show is that you're writing. And trying to write a different show while you're on that show is not going to work. So like there's a time at the beginning for Blue Sky and having crazy ideas. And what if it was this? And what if this, this? But as you narrow down into like outline, first draft, second draft, you know, I have to keep the whole show in my head and manage notes from like 10 different places. So am I giving a note? There's a reason. <laughs> so do the note. Well, I would think, you know, and the TV shows that I was on and have been on, you know, it, your job is to make that showrunner show. It's yes. just like working with a director. So you've got to tune in to their taste and what they like and listen deeply to what they're saying. And like, he's really not liking any of that. So I really love that stuff. He doesn't, isn't, but okay, he's not doing it. So what yes. else, what else can you dig up that, will invigorate and make that show on our show better as terms of their vision and what they want. And, you know, it's really starting to tune into that person. And I think sometimes when you're new, you can be so full of doubt and fear that it actually blocks your ability to tune in and connect that showrunner's vision. And that's really going to hurt you. Like that is your job. So try yes. really hard to stay present with wh what's happening. Even if it's starting to get bumpy as shit, that is your job. To, to put your seatbelt on and stay in the seat. Yes. Uh, and just, you know, that is the job. Your job is the, it, 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 is not to give more problems to the showrunner, right? Um, yes. And oh, more, bring more solutions. Work. Yes. If yeah, you do, or solutions. like, this isn't working for me. This is, don't be the writer who's like, this doesn't work. I might say that in the room. I say, this doesn't work. All right. I need everybody to go away for 15 minutes and come back and pitch pitch, how can we make this work? I need to get here at the end of the episode. How do we get there? So, but don't come back and say, I couldn't think of anything. I, I, you know, I don't know. It doesn't work. It's not working for me. You know, just, it's your job to, and they could, anything helps. 
you know, think of ideas. Yes, even if it's, you can say, okay, you know, it's 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 like the, the cliche thing to shaving. Okay, this is a bad idea, but it might get us somewhere is what I say. It's like, I don't yes. actually think this might work, but it might get us to another idea. It might spark somebody else. So I'm going to say it. Yes. That, that is your job. And, you know, I find the same thing in features uh, or in animation where people, it's very easy to say, I don't like this. This doesn't work. I didn't get it. Great. Good information. And? Yes. And? You, yes. What? And so what if this? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. Otherwise, it just is like a thunk. Like you're yep. just saying you're handing everybody else work and, 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 and a lap full of shit to figure out. Again, yeah. good information to have. I always want it, but it's always helpful to have some ideas to illuminate even the problem. Meg, what you said about the self-doubt piece, you have to you have to figure out how to let that go and just know that you were staffed for a reason. You bring something special to the room and lean into your strengths. Some people are going to be funnier than you. Some people are going to understand structure more than you, but you do bring what you bring to the room and focus on that. Like if somebody's super funny and the showrunner keeps laughing at everything they say and like, oh my God, it's so funny. You don't have to compete with that person. You bring yourself to it because I hired you for that role for a reason. Yes, because you right? were cast. You were cast for that yes. reason. I think you want from a writer to be on, I want a writer to be on my team, to be working what I'm working on. So if I say, this is what the show is about, this is what we're trying to do, get excited about that. And even if it's not the thing that you really, really want to do, like maybe you want to work on a different kind of show or with a different, you know, kind of theme or genre, like this is the show you're on. So like be in it. No one wants a person in the room who's like the grumbling about, you know, you know, the show isn't good enough or I never, I did not have that at all. I'm just thinking like hypothetically, um, all my writers were wonderful. If you're listening, you were all wonderful. Um, Oh, there's one more thing that's really important of what I expect from the writers, which is to treat the writer's assistant and the showrunner's assistant and the script coordinator with respect and kindness and generosity. Their job is extraordinarily hard and they are probably the most important person in the writer's room. They have to keep track of everything. Notes, scripts as they iterate and everything that is said and they have offline conversations with the showrunner to like track things and they're delivering scripts and so it's their job is phenomenally massive and very hard and if you treat them yucky the showrunner finds out and you don't want that you don't want to be known as the person who's dumping on someone they are not your subordinates they don't work for you they uh, are not your you know underlings and everything they have a different job on the show so respect yourself enough to respect them um, uh, because like I said, they are probably the most important people in the room um, and without them, nothing happens. Like I can have all the amazing ideas I want and uh, the writers can have all their amazing ideas. And, but if someone's not there to organize it and communicate it, it's like, there's no reason for you to have had all those great ideas. Right. So and do what you can to communicate with that person and those people, you know, it's just respect. Don't make their job harder. That's another big thing is don't make other people's jobs harder in the room. Your job is to make everyone else's job easier. My job is to make everyone else's job easier too. So yeah. like you come in it with that and then you, you have a team that works together, but the, yeah, the writer's assistant, script coordinator, showrunner's assistant, most important people in a writer's room. Well, and people remember that. 
I feel like as well. They remember yeah. who was easy to work with, who was fun to work with. Yeah. Like, you know, you, you want to be in that positive space. Yeah. And yeah, like it's such a simple piece of advice, but just, you know, don't, be, now, don't be rude to people. <laughs> yeah. And now the industry is such that like a brand new writer can sell a show. They could be your boss. Right. So you never know who's going to be your boss. You never know who. So just treat everyone with respect. The person on your show could get a show like just think of everyone as a peer across the board, you know, and I think, um, yeah, in a room. So I expect that. All right, guys. So we have more questions from the listeners we did not get to today. Um, So we're going to take our next episode and keep answering questions. So If you have some, please jump on our Facebook page and let us know. Um, But in the meantime, we're just going to end it here. So remember to drop us a view on Apple Podcasts. Um, We have an ambitious goal of a thousand reviews by the end of the year. And we really appreciate every single one. They're all brilliantly written. Um, And uh, remember, you are not alone and keep writing. Thanks for tuning in to The Screenwriting Life. We love our community and we want to get to know you even better. Join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash thescreenwritinglife or email us at thescreenwritinglife at gmail.com to have your question considered for the show. You can also suggest topics by emailing us there. Also, we'd love for you to drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. Even if we don't read your review on air, trust me, we have read it. And not only does it mean the world to us, but it helps other people find the show. We've always been driven by mission and mentorship, and reviewing our show helps expand that mission. And of course, until next Sunday, happy writing.